Welcome, welcome friends, well-wishers, people of the business community and workers. We see no contradiction here. Labor members and those who are no longer labor members, the fallen. You're all welcome here on uh, Britain's preeminent podcast, I say, most esteemed, critically acclaimed, award-winning podcast. So a lot's been going on. I think we're on. not actually the most preeminent podcast. We're the preeminent anti-Semitism podcast. Preeminent, most esteemed, critically acclaimed, award-winning anti-Semitism podcast. That's yeah, it. That's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, lots been going on since uh, our last episode. So which what, the last episode that we put up was blocked by The Guardian on YouTube. I just want to say uh, it, there was no community strike. Been a lot of false accusations made by Heather on Twitter. There was a <laughs> community strike, a lot of fake news being put out there. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea how it works, but apparently it was blocked. It was wrong for us to have put it up, but we didn't get a community strike for it. I don't understand. Also, of course, Heather, you've been expelled from the Labour Party. I have, finally. Yeah, it was really well worth paying one year of membership fees to get expelled. I feel like, because well, as a result, I got a video out of it and um, I got in Telegraph, the Jewish Chronicle, Jewish News, The Times and The Daily Mail. You got in the Times and the Daily Mail? Yeah. What did the Daily Mail say about you? Well, it was all kind of derivative. The Telegraph was the original article, and they just nicked stuff off the Telegraph. It was a bit confused. But the Telegraph, the actual journalist, got in touch with me and got a quote from me. So bless him for that. <laughs> what, what did you say? You should listen to complaints on a podcast. Please join the Patreon. No, I didn't do that. Sorry. I'm worried, though, that now that having you on the podcast means that this podcast is is too anti make now and I'll, I'll get chucked out of the party just for having you on because that's how it works right yeah because like basically just being in a room with someone who's been expelled means that you're expellable so I was thinking what we could do we could get Jackie Walker and we could parachute her into labor conference like through the roof and then everybody that would be the end of the labor party right because everybody <laughs> would have to be expelled Starmer would be like avert your eyes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what else happened? Oh, yes. Starmer's Hanukkah video dropped. Did you see that, Heather? I watched that, yeah. What do you make um, of it? It was, I mean, it was interesting, obviously. I always, <laughs> always like it. I'm a little disappointed because we had predicted that his next video will be him getting circumcised. Yeah, he seems to have backed down, hasn't he? Yeah. He's got cold feet, among other things. Uh, he also made a Christmas video. Did you see that? I did, yeah. <laughs> Do you see, he, he lugged the massive Union Jack out of his office and taken it down and put it next to his Christmas tree, which is, I think, what most British people do, right? You have, you have your Christmas tree in the corner with a huge Union Jack next to it. Um, how, how was Christmas, by the way, for you guys? Oh, it was good, yeah. What did you get? I got, I got some books, some good political books, and some chocolate, and things like that. I had I had a good time. I had like Christmas with one side of my family and then Boxing Day with the other side of my family. And my best present this year, I got an Alison Hightower Funko Pop from House of the Dragon. My favourite, it's from my brother. And then I also got a foot spa. Oh, how was yours? Mine, oh, we, do, we don't celebrate Christmas at my house because we're very left-wing. We're, we, we're trying to cancel Christmas worldwide. <laughs> just say happy holidays to each other yeah we just say happy holidays and then sit in a in a sort of empty room and <laughs> get angry at the king's speech oh yes the king's christmas message now i missed that what are your highlights from uh from 2022 in general i've got a few but i'd love to hear yours 
I enjoyed uh, Binley Mega Chippy. Were you, any of you involved in that? No. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a drag queen name. What is it? <laughs> Mega Chippy is a chip shop just outside Coventry, which uh, became a massive TikTok phenomenon. Why was that a highlight of yours? It was a great time. It was a great time of joy. People from all over the world were going to this very small chippy. Like, look, and it's that idea on the internet where you just take something obscure, something quite mundane, and you just sort of champion it as the greatest thing that's ever happened. And I, I like that. I like that about the internet, that people can sort of just pluck something from obscurity. So I'm, I'm hoping in 2023 that what we pluck from obscurity, what I'm going to try and get off the ground is the trilateral commission. I want that to, I looked on the trilateral commission's Europe Twitter account, and they've only, they've got less than a thousand followers. So I'm hoping to get that like up as the big thing of 2023. Claudia? Oh, my highlights. Um, well, I'm a big Doctor Who fan and um, David Tennant is coming back as the Doctor, which is really exciting. It's a highlight for me. <laughs> so I went on the Julian Assange protest where we went, we made, um, with our arms around the Parliament. That was pretty good because like you have to have a bit of nerve to do it. We're going to like all join arms and surround Parliament because you have to go across the bridges because you can't get behind the Parliament building. And so you have to like believe that there's going to be like thousands of people turning up and it worked. We got around. So that was kind of inspiring. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, today we're going to do the top 10 melts of 2022. Is that right? Is that what we're going to call it? Yeah. Centrist, centrist meltdowns. Uh, and we're going to do it in sort of mojo fashion where we'll go through the first 10 to 2 and then we'll do some uh, also mentions and then we'll do, reveal the number one meltdown the number one centrist melt of 2022 it's exciting isn't it <laughs> so at number 10 this is something i don't really understand so i'm, I'm hoping to get be enlightened uh, is h from steps what's going on with h so uh, there is a hashtag blocked by h from steps phenomenon phenomenon on twitter because um h from steps otherwise known as ian h watkins decided to block people using one of these kind of Twitter blockers, automated ones. And he apparently asked to block bots and he asked to block people who are phobes in his words. And What's a lot that? Of, um, I let you interpret it in your own way, phobes, haters, I guess. And he ended up blocking a lot of people, but the very vocal people. So all the kind of centrists you love to hate, I know Sonia Soda, um, Julie Bindle, um, David Quantic, they're all bitching about being blocked by H from Steps. Dan Hodges. Dan Hodges, yes, Dan Hodges is blocked. So it's um, kind of beautiful. And because they're all blue ticks and they're all very entitled, they're making a huge fuss about it and acting like they've been cancelled because like they've been blocked by one person, like you have a constitutional right to be, have your tweets read by H from Steps. <laughs> I do like the idea that if H isn't getting the message, then what's the point of all this? But I checked. I have not been blocked from it by H from Steps. I haven't actually checked. Wait, how do I? I, I, want da to I daren't check. Just, just um, <laughs> search for H from Steps and see if he, he comes up. I'm fine. I'm all right. I'm in the clear. Right, you've, got, you've got unique access. Uh, You're yeah. one of the few people that can contact. You can basically control him. 
I'm a, I, I quite like Edge from, St from Steps. So I felt very protective when I heard that he was under attack. Yeah. And also his name is Ian Watkins. And that's, that's awful to have that name uh, yeah. in this time. It is, yes, yeah, true. I didn't um, realise that. We were talking before how we kind of had a blip, um, me and Claudia, about not liking him because of him being on The Big Brother, mm -hmm. where um, the whole Jade Shilpa bullying thing happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like at the time it was like a really big deal and it kind of felt like, I don't know, I think maybe he was nervous about how he was going to come across and he didn't really take much of a stand and he kind of kind of faded a bit, didn't he, into the background, which is quite, which seemed unlike his personality because he's quite a big personality. So, but he's he's just impressed me so much. I mean, we were saying, weren't we? It's like Jedward. Like Daniel was saying that actually H from Steps walked so Jedward could run. That, that's exactly <laughs> what I said, yeah. <laughs> it's true though. I don't think we would have had a Jedward without H and without Jedward, I mean, what well, what would we have? We, we have to thank our elders and know our history. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the thing is with this as well, like isn't the blocker literally just isn't it blocking based on transphobia essentially isn't that the blocker it's not clear he said phobe so it may be several forms of phobia i, I feel like it's like L lgbt phobia i'd imagine probably probably okay shall we move on to number nine yeah so this yeah. is sonia soda and this is kind of she's standing in for all of the melts who are the british media who reacted to the Trojan Horse podcast and just completely lost their shit. So for people who don't know, the Trojan Horse affair happened in Birmingham, I think in around 2010, more or less. And it was when a lot of um, Muslim educators who'd been successful in turning around schools in Birmingham to get the rates of pass rates up from under 10% to you know, some of the best in the country. And, working with some of them in some of the most deprived areas they got smeared as trying to islamicize the schools um they got seen as kind of sort of almost as terrorists and they lost their jobs they lost their reputations it was it was horrible and it was all done on very dodgy evidence but the press bought it of course because that's what they always do they buy establishment smears they reproduce them they keep going with them they don't look at them critically and then this year, there was a podcast which did look at them critically and really showed up our media for the shitty Islamophobic, um, racist establishment whores that they are. And then everyone went apeshit over it. And Sonia Soda in The Observer wrote about how it's completely wrong. And, you know, I just want to read a little bit from Aydin, who's a brilliant Labour councillor in Wandsworth. And he did a series of tweets in reply to it. And he said, I don't think I will ever get over or forgive the response by Soda or the fact the Observer published it to the Trojan Horse Affair podcast, a mainstream media series for the first time in my life, I felt a captured experience of institutional Islamophobia. So he talks about it, we'll put a link to that in the description, but he says, it is unsurprising that Soda, a champion of the Blair era, has a blind spot when it comes to relentless Islamophobia that shaped those of us who grew up during the period and beyond. It's remarkable how brazen she is to follow the exact same no smoke without fire line. My politics is one in which I don't think the fact Soda is herself not Muslim should be relevant. But I don't think the Observer will publish a white woman claiming Windrush was not so bad because some of those deported were criminals. The liberal hubris is off the charts. Yeah, I've, I've got um, I've got some stuff here actually with on her, which is interesting when you scratch the surface with these people, these kind of centrists going with the anti-Semitism witch hunt. There's always transphobia. 
have you noticed there's always that connection I mean I found this from the 20th of this month so just before Christmas it was when the SNP actually had their vote about a self-ID in Scotland uh, Scotland had the vote uh, the SNP have today sided with the desires of male sex offenders over women and girls who've suffered sexual violence at the hands of men I hope Scottish voters make them pay I just thought it was interesting to bring up that there's a connection like you know these centrists they position themselves as like in the center and like you know reasonable people they're very transphobic yeah it's a weird one because in America people who are anti-trans are the far right it's pretty mm -hmm. clear it's the your Fox News and stuff. In this country, it's the Liberal Centre. It's the Guardian and the BBC that have been two of the worst media outlets for, for pushing these, these kind of views. Do you think it's one of the issues is that basically you had a left-wing leader of the Labour Party and therefore everybody had to sort of come together on the right? And so the whole anti-Semitism witch hunt thing is to project that there's a big problem on the left uh, which covers all of the problems that are on the right, including transphobia and Islamophobia. That's interesting. That's interesting that having the left pushes the right and the centre together, or the centre towards the right, maybe. Okay, shall we move on to number eight? Eddie Marsden interview. I don't know anything about this. So Eddie Marsden requested people to ask him questions on the Guardian website or on Twitter to then be asked on the Guardian. I think it's the Guardian's idea. They were like, oh, we're going to interview this great guy. Everyone loves Eddie Marson, right? So let's get crowdsource the questions. They didn't realise that everyone doesn't love Eddie Marson. They soon found out and started like going a bit crazy and deleting questions. That's what the Guardian does, if in doubt, is delete their comments. So you, you've had a question, didn't you, in this list, Claudia, I think. Uh, did, what was I going to... You tweeted, are you enjoying the tree you were gifted from Stolen Land? Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't even remember, yeah. Is that what I wrote? Is yes. I wrote? No, 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 essentially, yeah. I mean, I, I, it had come at a time, hadn't it? Like, just after he'd been showing off his apartheid tree. You know, uh, that, that was so outrageous, you know. And, and I remember, you know, he put that picture of him smiling with the tree, and, and it said on it, it said, in recognition of your bravery and strong stance in fighting anti-Semitism in the UK, you're a true friend of the Jewish people. And um, yeah, he, he did have a bit of a meltdown over that because his comments were just a lot of people saying, you know, how, why would you be showing off this stolen, you know, land, this tree that you've got? Um, and he just kind of doubled down on it, really. I mean, he's got some very bad taste tweets around that time as well. I mean, th this this year, you know, there's a couple of things about him which are, which are a bit odd. You know, he's, he said this December, even to this day, I love to talk to British Indian and Pakistani friends about their family history and the effects of part and the effects that partition had on their grandparents. With my British Caribbean friends, I love to discuss the cultural difference between each island. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, how do you love to talk to, to British Indian and Pakistani friends? Like, there's a disconnect there, right? It's also fake. And it also feels like it's like a, a tweet that's like trying to show off, I have friends that are- Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's really a friendship as much as he's sort of drills people for information <laughs> this is the, this is it again in the way that you you sort of come out or have this sort of reaction to what was happening in the labor party and then the people that back you up in this argument turn out to be sort of far right you know is israeli apologists right and then you sort of get lumped in with them whether you're aware of it or not and then, you know, it's one of those things that now, now you're, you're in the corner in this fight and these are the people that are backing you up. Then you start to defend them or, or relate to them, right? 
Yeah, my own question to him, which got deleted, was I really admire a lot of your work, particularly in the Red Riding series. So it's gutted to see your negative response to a grassroots socialist movement of which I'm a part. Do you regret anything about how you responded to left insurgency inspired by Corbyn's leadership? There was also good questions about him being a landlord. I didn't know he was a landlord. Yeah, as a million... As a millionaire landlord, why did Eddie Marston object so vociferously to rent caps and higher tax on millionaires? So he he gets called out quite a lot by people on the left, you know, you know, for being a bit of a centrist male. And um, I'm not saying that people are always polite to him; they're not. But this was his quote tweet response to somebody. Uh, <laughs> so they they kind of told him that you know how sad are you owning the libs, and he re- responded with this. Actually, I've got a beautiful joint of beef in the oven. My potatoes are ready to go in. And I've got 11 people coming round for lunch. And I don't think I've had enough champagne. I'm so stressed, you have no idea. But pissing people like you off just kind of helps. And it's so annoying. Like, I feel annoyed just reading it. Like, it's so centrist, isn't it? It's Mm. essentially saying, I've got a lot of food and a lot of money and a lot of friends. I'm eating beef. You're eating crisps. Like... (laughs) so embarrassing he's not a nice person he's a horrible person yeah okay moving on what are we up to number seven on the list is that right I think I've lost so. track. yeah and it's jenny eclair's landlord meltdown so i hadn't seen this but heather you showed me this before we started recording jenny eclair went on twitter to complain about the woes of being a landlord in 2022 and she said Mortgages on buy-to-let flats are now over double what it was at the beginning of the year. Flat no longer really financially viable, which will be a blow to my tenants who have done nothing wrong and whose wages won't have miraculously gone up. So she's really concerned about her tenants there. Yeah, she got a nice response by someone saying how brave she was to mention she's a landlord. Because it never ends well. That was prophetic. And she replied, I don't think I've done anything wrong, to be honest. I was providing a roof over some youngster's heads for a fair price, but now it's all gone tits up. It's that, you know, it's the idea of she comes out and complains in 2022 when everybody's having a pretty bad time of it. She's like, and and me, don't forget about Jenny Eclair's problems. I can't pay the mortgage on my second house. I I found another tweet she'd made about being a landlord, which is different to the one that you you read. It's from this year. It's from um, October. Um, I'm a landlord in in uh, brackets, no job pension, bought BTL with mortgage, which is almost doubled this year, have three lads in flat who've had cheap accommodation until now. I can't afford to subsidise them, sadly. We are trying to find a compromise. And then there's like a pause. Not all landlords are assholes. <laughs> they think they're oppressed. The landlords do think they're oppressed. They do. And the thing with Jenny, which was really, which qualifies it as a meltdown, was she didn't just delete the tweet. She actually turned off her Twitter account for a while, which is like a severe level of meltdown over just getting a bit of pushback to a really shitty position. She's being persecuted for being a landlord. It's it's the landlord's lot now. She said, I don't have a job or a pension. Well, get one. (laughs) So moving on, next we have George Monbiot, who I think many would argue should be much higher up this list, but it's, it's a competitive field. George Monbiot, well, he's had a big meltdown with the left and uh, the war in Ukraine. I think also his position on anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, there's been some interesting developments there. Not so much a meltdown, but a kind of, he's gone quiet on the issue, I guess, because he's not so sure. But anyway, we're going to talk about uh, 
an article that he wrote in The Guardian. Was this in March 2022? Yeah. Talking about what some people on the left had been saying about the war in Ukraine, which for George Monbiot was simply regurgitating Russian propaganda, which I think is an interesting argument that's sort of come out in 2022, which is that if you say anything that Putin has said, it doesn't really matter what the truth of it is. It's just bad because he said it. Yeah, it's not relevant whether it's right or wrong. It's just relevant that you are helping the invasion of Ukraine by saying it. The sort of things that the Stop the War Coalition are coming out with and stuff, they're complicating the Western narrative. But that doesn't just make it so that you're on side with Putin. It just gives you a better understanding of what's happening there. And, and that's this idea that having a better understanding, because that would mean that you're against your side, you're there for immediately on the other side. It might be that, or it just might be a left-wing version of QAnon. Yeah, and, well, yeah. And that's that, the other option, well. yeah. Well, that's the same thing with Trump. Trying to understand Trump is as bad as being a fan of his because you should just condemn absolutely everything he's ever said and anyone that supports him in all positions that he takes on anything, right? And it's like, well, then you're not going to really understand how to counteract it or how to even work with some of the people, try and bring them into some other political movement if you're just going to reject the entire idea. You've got to understand what's actually happening in order to find a solution to it. Yeah, I mean, I think about that here with, you know, UKIP and all that kind of thing. I mean, you've, you've got a lot of people likening, weirdly, Corbyn fans and Nigel Farage fans, because the only thing that really does connect them is the idea of questioning the media narrative. Yeah, there's that. But there's also that proximity to those ideas, which we've been like talking about here, isn't that? There is this kind of very weird liberal to far right pipeline mm-hmm. happening through Islamophobia, partly through anti-trans views through hatred of the left, through all the things that we're identifying, through the anti-Semitism, witch hunt, that's that's actually making them weirdly close to those views and then projecting that, as you're saying, onto us. Mm. I think it's it's something that you see in a few different sort of situations where you take what happens is the centrists or the sort of mainstream position is actually quite extreme in itself and really doesn't allow for much debate. And then what it does is then anyone that wants to debate it, you project onto them that they're the sort of in an extreme position because they wanted to have a more nuanced debate about say Brexit or mm-hmm. Ukraine or Trump or anti-Semitism and the Labour Party. And like, if you, if you want to debate these things and talk about the complexities of them, you're, you're Putin propagandist. I don't know you're you're the extremist for not buying into this narrative. It's definitely fascinating that the left are kind of portrayed as as not being able to tolerate different opinions and you know needing to control the narrative. When really that's that is the centre. I mean, the left is more interested in understanding, discussing. I see that more anyway among leftists I follow. They're more interested in debate. They're more interested in understanding things. It's the centre that wants to shut it down. It's all yeah, that's that's definitely the word is tolerance. Yeah, it's it's about who is tolerant and who is intolerant. Mm. Uh, and for some reason, if you want to debate these issues, you're intolerant. This is what I thought was particularly interesting about this. Because George Monbiot, I don't read him because I don't read any of the melts who melted over Corbyn. But, you know, a lot of people like his journalism. Maybe he does some good stuff. Fair enough. But he said he's basically slagging off three great journalists in this. He's saying John Pilger, Robert Fisk and Seema Hirsch have all helped to airbrush some of the world's worst atrocities because he's talking about the Assad's use of chemical weapons. Like, seriously? 
I mean, actually, what John Pilger and Robert Fisk can see more harsh advice not to help airbrush some of the world's worst atrocities, but help highlight some of those atrocities that other journalists have been airbrushing. And not just airbrushing, but erasing and ignoring. It just seems like a supreme arrogance to think that you're better, you know, you can compare yourself to these people who are just remarkable journalists. And George Monbiot is just like, I don't know, can't be bothered with him. I mean, he, he was the one who said, the reason I haven't written about um, Julian Assange is because I just don't see there's any need to. And like, but this he sees a need to write about. Yeah, he's definitely a worthy entry into the meltdowns. But up next, <laughs> we have Stephen Fry. So I've got a lot of, I've got an interest in this because Stephen Fry has long been, he's been an idol and an ally to the LGBT community. Uh, well, that's how he's tried to present himself. Um, and that's kind of falling apart recently, I think, um, with transphobia. So he, he's kind of outed himself as a centrist, quite literally, really. Um, <laughs> so he's, he's Essentially, he's friends with JK Rowling, you know, one of his friends. And he's, he's kind of spoken in an interview about how he wishes that both sides would listen to each other more. And he doesn't want to upset anybody. And he, he understands that women just want to be safe and trans people just want to be you know respected and can't everybody just get along and it's just that was a huge disappointment to me um I think discovering his centrism and and actually how cowardly he is I, I wasn't expecting him to be a coward but I think a lot of these people even ones you really admire they end up choosing to do something safe rather than to do something that's right and it's just it's just killed me really sorry if I like lowered the tone it's not very funny but I feel like deeply <laughs> saddened by that realization but I had this realization this was a weird one because it's Julie Birchall who is really far right now but it was when she was I liked her columns back mm. in the day she was a person who turned me off Stephen Fry because she was it was when he played Oscar Wilde and she said oh Oscar Wilde was a really great guy and Stephen Fry isn't he supports hunting does that, he that's what she said so I don't know um I never checked it but I kind of trusted Julie Birchall back then this is a mm. while ago this is decades ago I think and so that was that's always made me suspicious of him and um he turned up in David Baddiel's um Jews Don't Count document oh yeah he did where he compared Jewish people's relationship to Israel to white people's relationships to Putin it was weird it's like I don't ask my white friends to um apologize for Putin so why should I have to say anything about Israel that's really odd yeah I mean I, I found you know I found this is from 2020 he was talking to James O'Brien on LBC um oh, another centrist meltdown person right oh yeah <laughs> um, yeah we should be in the honorable mentions yeah, I don't definitely. know what he's done this year but I'm, I'm sure, sure he's he done many things <laughs> Um, he gets a legacy he gets a legacy vote special award <laughs> yeah yeah lifetime achievement <laughs> yeah. lifetime achievement award yeah so Stephen Fry so he says um centrist was a big insult in the Corbynista days and he's you know talking about he basically goes on to talk about binaries and the internet's so bad because it's brought out this extreme radical left and you know uh, because of the Corbynistas, I hate that word, by the way, I hate Corbynistas. Whenever someone says Corbynistas, you know you're going to get completely dismissed as like some sort of raving fangirl or something. It's awful. So he was kind of on that. He's also said this old quote. This this is quite old now. This is from the 2000s, but um, early. It's now very common to hear people say, I'm rather offended by that, as if that gives them certain rights. It's actually nothing more than a whine. I find that offensive. It has no meaning. It has no purpose. It has no reason to be respected as a phrase. I am offended by that. Well, so fucking what? 
so he was quite early on that sort of um you know i'm being cancelled uh brigade with that kind of thing um and also there was something worrying he said that i found out about which is he was he was criticized six years ago for telling self-pitying abuse victims to grow up his actual quote here is it's a great shame and we're all very sorry that your uncle touched you in that nasty place. You get some of my sympathy, but your self-pity gets none of my sympathy because self-pity is the ugliest emotion in humanity. Now, that's evil, right? That's evil. But also, can you imagine if he said that to David Baddiel? That would have made a great soundbite on that trailer, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I think the other thing which about Stephen Fry and what you said, which was kind of interesting and I relate to, is that stuff about how you like someone and then you see what side they're on when it comes to the crunch. The Corbyn era has ruined so many people who I used to like in my head. I, I can't really even watch shows that they're in if they're if they got a major part in them because they're just I just know their politics and it makes me sick. No, I, I agree, and and I think as well for me it's the transphobia thing because obviously I'm so I'm I'm obviously bisexual. I don't know if listeners know that. But um, so I've obviously I, I really admire a lot of LGBT celebrities and I, it's been a real shock to me to realise how many were only in it for their own rights because now they've turned on trans people. That's been so gutting that so many of the people you really admire have just turned. It, it's very similar to the Corbyn thing. It's just you kind of your your childish hope and wonder is gone and people are disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of disappointing celebrities, in um, fourth place we have... The epic Frankie Boyle Twitter meltdown. The epic Frankie Boyle Twitter meltdown. Much better. Yeah. <laughs> is it, would you say not just is, is obviously Frankie Boyle um, in fourth place, uh, but in terms of meltdowns on Twitter, this is one of the biggest ever. I'd say so. Yeah. It's, it went on for days. I think it was five, six days in the end. And it, it surprises me with Frankie Boyle because his persona as a stand-up, is that nothing ever gets to him, that he's so jaded, so sort of broken and world-weary, that he wouldn't feel any kind of petty worry about what others might think of him or, you know, that kind of, like, he, he never has any sort of regrets or, because he, it's, he's just so nihilistic, the, the world's just fucked, right? Um, and so it was interesting to see him really trying to fight his corner and justify his position. Yeah, he's now snowflake, beta male Frankie Boyle. What are the other? Sorry, boy, Frankie Boyle. Well, yeah. well, his his self pity gets none of my sympathy. So this is Frankie Boyle because he had David Baddiel on quite early, and he well, he didn't just listen to David Baddiel. He really pushed that narrative um, about Labour Party having a massive anti semitism problem, about Jeremy Corbyn being anti semitic, um, and he said, "I don't think I did join in with the character assassination." And the fact that you tried to quote tweet drag me without being certain on what you remember of what I said is ultimately pretty depressing. So that was um, him being quote tweeted by Tom Mills. Tom Mills is an academic. He does research for the BBC. He's a really measured person on Twitter. He's not someone who goes off on one, right? So Tom Mills replies, Frankie, come on. A lot of us liked you and um, like you and watch your programs during the period. It was pretty depressing. So Frankie Boyle then replies, Programs, Tom, are just the one we had a Jew on. So basically, passively aggressively suggesting Tom Mills is anti-Semitic, um, which Tom Mills kind of took, um, obviously, a little bit of objection to. And then Frankie kind of walked it back slightly um, and deleted his tweet. But obviously, everyone was piling on by then. And, you know, when people pile on, you just leave it alone, right? You let it go. 
you wait until the pylon goes down, you maybe take the piss out of a few weird tweets. He didn't do that. He started defending his record as a supporter of Jeremy Corbyn, which involved writing four articles in The Guardian, most of which were at best ambiguously supportive and at worst kind of actually having a bit of a dig. And the last one of which was in 2016. So he's not exactly, that's his defence. And he just kept on going day after day after day after day after day, ploughing on with this row. It was insane. But what were you saying at the beginning there, um, his reply to Tom Mills, is the classic, like, if you want to debate the op the, the topic of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, if you want to have a discussion with someone and, and sort of try and get them to explain their position, the response is always, you're being anti-Semitic. And that's what Frankie Ball ends up sort of implying. And yeah, in, in uh, his list of articles he wrote for The Guardian defending Corbyn, he doesn't put the article that he wrote a few days before the 2019 election, uh, which is very telling, I think, about where he was at that point on Jeremy Corbyn. He, he doesn't obviously support Boris Johnson becoming prime minister, but he basically takes the position uh, of uh, people like Russell Howard, which is this, is this is a shit show and we're fucked either way. And there's just so much apathy in it. it that, he doesn't want to defend Corbyn at that point. So we're, we are obviously all obsessed with Labour Party anti-Semitism, and that's why so many of these feature. But it's also because that issue does really wind up the centrist because they had such a bad line on it, and they're so defensive around it when they get exposed. Let's move on to or up to number three. Getting close now. Yeah, I mean this is a great honour for Hadley Freeman. Um, so Hadley Freeman is there in there for two articles she wrote, the Jewish Chronicle. Most recently, it sucks to be a Jew on the left. And she wrote that on in December. And she's talking about how terrible it is that she's got to leave The Guardian now for the Sunday Times, even though she's still on the left, which basically means, as far as I could tell, that she didn't vote Tory in her life. That's obviously the sign of being left wing, isn't it? <laughs> so before you go on, can we just say, so Hadley Freeman, she, she wrote for The Guardian for a long time. Yeah. Did you ever write anything decent? I haven't read her stuff back in the day. So back in the day, I used to read her because she used to write for The Guide. So she used to write some good pop culture stuff. Right. Um, but why had why did she have to leave The Guardian? Sorry, like, let me find it in the article. There's no doubt um, The Guardian is a newspaper of the British left, of course. I'm now after Sunday Times, which is not. My own political persuasions haven't changed, by which I mean I'm not voting Tory at the next election. There's no doubt I am. Like Adam and Eve being cast out of Eden, leaving the garden of the left. So it seems a good time to take stock. Then she bangs on about how she says, none of us want to rehash what I should delicately refer to as the Corbyn stuff. And then she spends the rest of the article doing rehashing it. <laughs> yes. And saying that the left is just gaslighting her. Um, and so she's left the garden and it feels bloody great. So, she, so the Guardian's position on oh, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party is too much for her to take? Yes. Wow. I think her position is basically, I wanted to trash Jeremy Corbyn so much, and the Guardian only let me to do it half as much as I wanted to. So now I'm going to Sunday Times. But I think what really is, is telling is, if you really are a Jew on the left, you don't get a column in the Jewish Chronicle. Basically, you get an article in a Jewish chronicle that doesn't mention you're Jewish and that implies you're anti-Semitic or actually states it. 
So sorry, Hadley, you're not on the left. They're very dramatic, aren't they? So I, I, I'm just, I, I hadn't read this, Heather, until you, you brought this up. Um, there's no, she's, she's likening herself to Adam and Eve being cast out of Eden. They're so grandiose, aren't they? They love this kind of, they really are the main characters of their universe. It's so dramatic. I should have said that in my video about being chucked at Labour Pie. I yes. feel like <laughs> cast out of Eden. <laughs> cast out by God himself. <laughs> it's nice that I'm really happy to leave. It's a sad pit. <laughs> Scorn. <laughs> How do you think she voted in the election then? She didn't vote Tory. Lib Dem. Yeah, definitely Lib Dem. That's my guess. But she's on the left, presumably. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, you know, <laughs> most people, a lot of people who are definitely not on the left still voted Labour in the 2019 election. I mean, it's incredible to think that you are, yeah, a, a left-wing journalist who couldn't bring yourself to vote for the mainstream left-wing part of the country. I mean, we don't know if she did or not, but obviously she hated Jeremy Corbyn is the leader. She could do the, the O'Brien thing, which is, well, I have a lovely local candidate that I'm voting for. Yeah. No, I mean, this is why Hadley is in this list. She's still obsessed. She's still writing articles about Jeremy Corbyn in 2022. She'd be like, I'm, unfortunately, I have to leave the Times to go work for GB News because I can't <laughs> talk enough about Corbyn. I'm being Fight. silenced. She's going to be recruited by Spice. <laughs> It's going to be all the Guardian readers from the 1990s working at Spite. <laughs> yeah, that is incredible, actually. So uh, we're getting close to the end now. Well, we have two, number two. Yeah, I think we're on number two now. Number two on the 2022 greatest centrist melts. We have friend of the show, Russell Howard. Russell Howard has a lot of history on complaints on a plate. It was, in fact, uh, Russell Howard the was one of the first videos was forced to be taken down because it featured some of Russell Howard's good news. Very protected content. Uh, he's made the list this year for all sorts of reasons. It's, part, it's partly because of um, like a, a sort of grand project that he's been building for years that's come to fruition in 2022. You make him sound like the master from Doctor Who. <laughs> slowly, slowly working out his plan, finding a route in. <laughs> He's done it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, his, his is an epic meltdown spanning decades. <laughs> I just think we need a prevent strategy for people like Russell Howard. And we need to spot early the signs. Early intervention. Early intervention. Yeah. I watched a really cute interview he did with Greta, Greta Thunberg. Mm -hmm. And he's really nice in that. Mm. Who could have predicted? Yeah, he's, he's a disappointment, isn't it? Because, you know, he was, I thought he was kind of left. I did think he was, but that it's been so gradual. It's almost imperceptible. You know, you don't notice it happening. It's been so He gradual. doesn't notice it happening. That's the main thing. <laughs> no, not at all. He just thinks the whole world's gone crazy around it. So yeah, uh, Russell Howard, well, what happened this year? What yeah, was the culmination? Video, didn't you? you just done a video on Russell Howard. Yeah, so so I, I, I've been keeping track on my channel of the coverage of, of Meghan and Harry. Um, you know, I'm sure anyone listening to this will realise I'm not a royalist in any any sense at all but it's certainly interesting the way I mean I liken the way Megan is being treated to the way Jeremy Corbyn is in politics you know anyone you know how there's like a there's a scapegoat always and it's like some they live rent free basically in these people's heads and it's, it's very similar kind of thing and I was really surprised because the new Megan and Harry documentary came out where they talk about press intrusion and 
um, how they've been abused by the media. And then Russell Howard put out a video recently in the, in the last couple of weeks where he seems to be siding with the royal family and joining in on the hatred towards Meghan and Harry. Um, and that was really disappointing and, and surprising to see that. Um, and it was actually that that made me realise and research and, and realise that he has actually been descending. You know, he's been moving further right from what I thought he was for quite a long time. Um, on its own, I suppose that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like much, but it's just very disappointing to see him taking part in that sort of hate campaign. Um, it very much felt almost pro-royal, in fact, um, which is which is odd. There's a lot of I think there's a lot of liberals and centrists who are strangely pro the royal family, which is completely bizarre. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Mm. It's about the establishment. It's about respectability. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was you who sort of said to me, oh, he interviewed John Peterson about a year ago. Yeah. That interview is very disturbing. And um, particularly if you can't, I couldn't watch that Harry Meghan documentary. I managed five minutes of it. You know, they're the royal family and they're very entitled. In it. And, you know, yeah, I feel for her. And what you say is true. She's really getting destroyed by the press, but I can't watch it. But um, if you contrast what he's, how much sympathy he has for Jordan Peterson, who went through mental health problems, who had addiction and so on. Um, I, I don't know about went through mental health problems. I mean, if you see that interview <laughs> or any other interview with him, <laughs> he seems very unwell. Yeah, he cries like a lot of every people. single interview. Every single interview he does, he cries. Um, yeah, for, for, he, he, yeah he, he talks himself into crying and then talks himself out of it into laughing and then into anger. And you can even see Russell Howard kind of doesn't really know where to go with, he's very, Russell Howard's very nervous. It, it, it's so, you know, it is funny, but it's, it is so scary because it's, it's basically his attempt to someone as, you know, reasonable centre. You know, it's easy to forget, you know, Russell Howard's sitting there. I think he likes, he obviously looks up to, Jordan Peterson you can tell he's he wants to be well liked by him and he's sitting there trying to get his approval it's a bit embarrassing you know and he says you could whittle your books down to this life is tough and the only way to make it less tough is to be the very best version of yourself and he also says that he finds it to be inspiring and he kind of puts down any any critics of Jordan Peterson you know making out this is just a nice old guy and you know but then you know it's, it's all fun and then you actually look at what this man believes in you know and, and some of the things you know he's he's against he doesn't believe in the idea of bias he doesn't believe in the ideas of he doesn't believe in institutional uh, racism he doesn't support human rights organizations he he thinks that the radical left are operating to force gender neutral pronouns on people like him he's actually very dangerous yeah he, he actually he spoke for the the redistribution of sex but he doesn't believe in the redistribution of wealth Mm -hmm. He thinks that sex should be distributed fairly, by which he means access to women's bodies. Yeah. He doesn't mean anything else. Mm -hmm. so he's basically arguing for state-sanctioned rape. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he said that, you know, uh, patriarchy is, is an illusion, is a concept, it doesn't exist. And he says that white privilege is a Marxist lie, apparently. You know, so someone like Russell Howard, you know, I think they think they're quite intelligent by, uh, you know, talking to these people and flat platforming them. But essentially, you know, he's not actually, he doesn't have the guts to actually call him out on anything in the conversation, does he? I mean, he, he sits there and boosts his ego. He basically makes that sound rational and, and reasonable. And it's actually quite sinister. I, I, I saw this thing that he said once, which is really scary. He was in conversation with a, um, with a professor at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. And he makes this, this deadly serious claim that, that men are able to have serious, civilized, rational conversations because of the underlying threat of physicality which he says is a good thing. 
Uh, and then he basically says that that's good. You can't have these these conversations with women because you can't, you're not allowed to have that same undercurrent of physical violence as a threat. So how do you control crazy women? You know, he says that these techniques are forbidden for men to use. He basically is saying he wants to use the threat of physical violence against crazy, crazy women, women who disagree with him. I mean, th this man is, is quite evil. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that quote. It's a, it's an amazing quote, particularly like the, the whole thing with him is that we, we need to have this rational, calm debate. But he is he is completely out of his mind. Right. In that Russell, that Russell Howard interview in particular, most of the stuff he says doesn't make any sense. And Russell Howard's just like, yeah, yeah, you're so right. It's so true. It's, he's not, it's barely a sentence. Yeah, there's a good bit about compiling playlists. Don't forget, he talks oh, about yeah. that. That's, that's really Well, he talks about Arcade Fire. <laughs> I, would, I wanted to hear his views on Arcade Fire, but he's the only, all he can say about stuff is, it's that's bad well that's good that, that it's just his entire vocabulary you have to do a kermit voice he speaks like kermit the frog that's good that's bad <laughs> like arcade fire because with kermit the frog there was always a threat of physical violence with a woman <laughs> <laughs> oh, also we, sh we should say as well with, with russell Hab because it relates to corbyn you know i'm sure we all know this but you know in 2019 he came out with very publicly when the choice was Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn. You have the choice between the evil twat or the useless one. Someone who'll smash the country or drop it. Like they're just well, I, I wonder when I see stuff like that and the stuff about Meghan, how much Russell Howard even knows what he's doing? Because he's got an army of writers. Uh, you know, it's a, the TV show. It's a big ITV, long running current affairs comedy thing. Right. And he's sort of it's his name on it and he's hosting it. I, I feel like he doesn't really take ownership of what he's doing or really understand a lot of the sort of positions that he's taking. Yeah, there are things that you do, you've done um, some videos about, have I got news for you, haven't you, Daniel? And one of the things I was thinking about today, as yeah, so I was listening to Claudia's video, is how much the panel show is a very, the comedy panel show is so British and how much the establishment works through that. So in order to get, work as a to keep earn your living as a comedian in this country the best way to do it is to be able to keep getting these gigs on these panel shows right and to yeah. do that of course, you have to be in with everyone you have to be you know have the same joke style you have to make fun of the same things you have to have the same politics the same social circle the same way of looking at the world so it's a kind of way in which the comedy establishment functions in the uk i think it's much more of an establishment than it is in in america i think you have more dissenting voices in American comedy, because you haven't got this kind of very closed in, insular circuit of, of the panel show. Yeah, and it's it's the problem with it, why it's insidious, is that it's presented as subversive. It's presented as subverting the narrative of, of questioning people's assumptions and feelings on stuff. But it, it, it rarely does. OK, so honourable mentions. Yeah, that was, that was a good countdown. Actually, I think yeah. we got it more or less in the right order. But if you disagree with any of our choices, if you have, you can go to hell. Yeah, or you could just put them in the comments section below, <laughs> and we'll delete them. <laughs> we won't hear any dissent whatsoever. This is I will double down on this list <laughs> that we arbitrarily put together just now. Um, well, honorable men, yeah. So in the build-up to number one, let's look at some honorable mentions that didn't make it but could have if we'd arbitrarily put them in. Yeah, go on. Let's start with Paul Mason. I don't no? follow the Paul Mason thing. I just know that 
there was some spider diagram of his that was discovered and he was trying to get in, in with MI6 and it was all a bit mad. Well, it was another thing where if you question Paul Mason and uh, you question his politics or anything about him, then you're just buying into Russian propaganda. It's the same thing. It's, it's the same yeah. thing with all these people. He definitely took it up. No, but he said that the Russia, it was Russia that had leaked the information. Oh, and therefore, it doesn't matter what the information is. Same with Hillary Clinton. Who cares what the information is? If you look into this or talk about it, you're just propping up Russian propaganda. It's like, okay, yeah, there is Russian propaganda, but let's see if there's some truth in it. As if like, that's not what you do. That's, that's, what, that's what journalism is. Yeah. That's the whole thing of like, media. So who's our next honorable mention? Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mention Navarro Media, um, who may seem like an extraordinary entry for Sanchez Melts because they're left-wing, aren't they? But- um, I know, I'm surprised. Yeah, they made it onto Paul Mason's kind of weird spider diagram as well. But every time that you question their coverage of Labour Party anti-Semitism, of Aaron Bastani or Rivka Brown, they go apeshit with you on Twitter. They really do. They have a proper meltdown. So just going to mention that. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts on Navarro, I mean, I, I think, I, I genuinely think they're, they're good, well-meaning people on the whole, but they, they have that problem where I feel like they've touched celebrity, you know, that they've made it to an acceptable place. You know, they're kind of acceptable now. And now they're just throwing everyone else under the bus and it's really sad. They also double down a lot. You know, I think that's really sad. I, I, I really respect people who, you know, can reflect on something and, you know, grow from it. But it's been really disappointing that they seem to be falling into that trap of being unable to look back at anything and say, oh, maybe we could have done this differently. Or, you know, I don't know. I found that really disappointing because I think they do mean well, but maybe some of them have been seduced because they're no longer by, by making us cranks they've kind of ascended slightly to be slightly less like cranks. It's sad. It's very sad. Yeah. Yeah, they've got a, a particular audience that they're going for and they're trying to attract and they don't want to lose that audience by basically coming around to the position uh, on Labour anti-Semitism, where most people who are actually on the left and supporters of Corbyn have got to now. I mean, they're total outliers now. There was a time when I think it was a very confused picture and not many people could say definitively that they thought the, the anti-Semitism thing was entirely a witch hunt or, you know, it was something that there, there, was, there was information coming out. I think people like Heather, you probably did have a really good understanding of it. But, you know, information comes out, new things come to light. The Ford report, the Labour files, the Labour leaks. And if you read that information and not find that your position has changed or try, you know, I mean, I feel like Navarro are trying to move to another position without saying that their position has changed. I mean, it, okay, it makes you, maybe you're not as good journalist as you thought you were, but that's, but you know, you're definitely much worse journalist than I thought they were if they're gonna ignore this information or try and pretend like that they knew this all along or that actually um, their position was always right yeah, they've got a really confusing position on, yeah. on this. But I think, like you, Claudia, I, I, I do find them, yeah, I do quite like uh, a lot of stuff on Navarro. I find. Yeah. But it then, you know, if they, it makes me think if they're not going to be clear on this, then it makes me worry that yeah. maybe they're not being clear on other things. Oh, I was just thinking Rivka's position is slightly different. I agree that Aaron and Michael's position is like you're saying, is like we got it right all along. Rivka's position is more complicated because... She was on the record as saying, I believe the people on Panorama. 
I feel really sorry for these whistleblowers as victims of anti-Semitism. And so it's, she can't do that. I was right all along in quite the same way, although you would think Aaron couldn't and Michael couldn't. But the Rivka will say, well, you know, he was a good actor. I got taken in by him, um, which is fine. But then she won't reflect on why she got taken in, what was going on. And also not really fine because at the point when she wrote about this in the public record, there were the, the files, um, the, the transcript of the recording of the interview that she had, that she cites, um, and it was in the Canary. And so it's also to do with where she was using her news sources. So, I mean, people like Owen Jones, Vivka Brown would not look at the Canary because it was seen as a crank news source, still is seen as a crank news source. So they couldn't get past that. I'm sure they can look in the Times occasionally and get stuff from there, even though the Times is a very right-wing paper. So you can always look at other news sources, but they couldn't because again, it's contaminating. Like we can't even touch these things. Um, and I think that that failure to, to be able to reflect on that is really disappointing because I think a lot of stuff Rivka's done is pretty good since then. I think the stuff she's done um, about Absana Begum is, is really good. Mm. I definitely think that the left have got this reputation as being, you know, really unforgiving and cancelling people. But I mean, from my perspective, and it seems the same with you guys, I, I don't see, you know, I respect people more, you know, people can make mistakes, but if, if people can just can say, you know, this was why, let's investigate why, you know, that makes me respect them more. You know, I don't, I don't have ill will towards them. It's not like this crusade to cancel anyone who didn't think the same as me. I mean, my position's changed on it. I just have so much more respect for them if they were just honest. And I, and I think they're running it so much like a business now. You know, it's, it's less about truth and that's always worrying, but. Any other honorable mentions? Joe Lysa, is that how you say it? Comedian, went on Laura Kunzberg's new show and was a bit rude about the Tories. Yeah, um, so let's just clarify. It's not Joe Lysa. He's not on the list. Joe Lysa is an icon. I love Joe Lysa. Yeah, Joe Lysa is yeah. the opposite of being on the list, which is off yeah. the list, I suppose. If, if Joe Lysa is listening to this, like, I love you so much, Joe. <laughs> just so you know. I love you. <laughs> yeah, I think him being on um, Laura Kunzberg's show was great. And it brought all the centrist meltdowns out to such an extent that even in Parliament, they were discussing how terrible this was and how shocking it was that he could go on and be a bit rude about the Tories on the BBC show and ruin Laura Kunzberg's incredibly good record for impartiality. Which That's we the thing, like, crazy. it's the idea that Laura Kunzberg's show is a really serious weighty debate on politics and that Joe Lysett has made a mockery of that. I think that's the main thing I find ridiculous about it. I, I just think Joe Lysett is so smart with it because he's essentially gaslighting the gaslighters. You know, I love the things he's, you know, he's very sarcastic, isn't he? You know, and he won't tell you if he's joking or not. And it's just absolutely fantastic because he is really brave because, you know, he's come through, I'm sure, I'm sure he was on Bake Off and I've seen him on, you know, those kind of BBC things. He did like, he was part of like the sewing challenge or something like that. So I almost feel like he's gone rogue. I think perhaps they didn't realise when they first, you know, elevated him, you know, the sort of person he was. And I think they're starting to panic now, but there's nothing they can really do about it, which I love. Yeah, well, it's a dangerous game for him, for sure, as you say, because when, yeah, when you sort of fall out of favour with that kind of panel show circuit, um, yeah, then then you become the butt of a joke and the, and the narrative gets built up about you and you're, you're, you're no longer able to go on those shows. So you... So the narrative is there. The conversation is about you, but you're not in it. 
Absolutely. I mean, and how much do you guys know about Doctor Who? Do you know about Christopher Eccleston and Doctor Who? <laughs> Anything about that? I know, I know. About, yeah, I watched yeah. it. In, I watched it in the Christopher Eccleston days, yeah. Well, I did yeah. watch it, but he's a great, uh, he's in Our Friends in the North. It's great. Mm. He is, but I liked Rose. Rose was one of my favourite characters. So. Yeah. But it's, it, he was in a similar situation. It's, it's, you know, in the BBC when it comes to acting, you know, he, he, uh, he's very socialist, very left-wing, Christopher Eccleston, and he's working class. And um, he had some issues on set with the way that, the, that he says the way that people on the set were being treated by the directors. And he brought that up with the higher-ups. And uh, eventually he just took a stand against it. The relationship with the people in charge broke down. And uh, basically when he left the show, they started leaking things, you know, saying that, oh, he, he decided to go because of this. or And then he kind of spoke about how he got blacklisted by the BBC. You know, he found it very difficult to work because people called him grumpy and difficult and all these different things. And it now turns out that he, he wasn't any of those things, you know. So the BBC, I, I'm assuming it's the same in comedy. It's, it's very much a friends club. And if you step out of line, they will completely destroy you. Yeah. Well, like this it, is the thing. This is the thing we talk about council culture. The people that are actually cancelled, you don't hear from them. That's the point, you know, and they're generally people on the left, right? That have stood up against these sort of societal, these sort of structural problems, sorry, to do with, with various institutions, be it racism, the, the way people are treated, the sort of um, the sort of norms that, that they're, they're fighting against, and then they, they just don't get work after that. The real council culture was um, blacklisting in the construction industry. Well, there was for a really long time in this country, there was a list of names, of people who've been trade unionists. And if you were employing people in the construction industry, you'd phone up and check out these people. And if they were on this list, you didn't employ them. Or if you're in the Labour Party and you happen to have gone to some left-wing group or had someone like Heather Mendick on your podcast. I was going to say, you know, I, I take the Keir Starmer defence and the only reason that I have Heather on these podcasts is to try and help her move away from our anti-Semitic positions. You know, the way that Starmer had to stay in the cabinet. I have to keep Heather on this podcast to <laughs> try and help her get through these issues. But yeah, so the last honorable mention. This, yeah. So we'll, we'll do one more honorable mention, which is Victoria Corrin Mitchell for her article in the Guardian, Observer, Independent, Times, Telegraph, what was it in? I can't remember the now. Times, I believe. Was it the Times? I feel like no. it was the Times. Was it not the Times? It was behind a paywall. It may have been. I don't know what she writes. She, so people like her like seem to be able to write for any newspaper. It's bizarre. Anyway, she wrote an article defending her good friend, David Baddiel. It's always good when an article starts like, I thought what my friend did was, was great. So <laughs> why do you think that? Because they're my friend. She's it's also on argument. the record as she was on um, the last leg defending her good friend, Lebedev, the Russian. That was bizarre. Yeah. Oh, yes. So she has got a good defense of, you know, she's got a good track record defending her friends. Yeah. So she was defending David Baddiel's um, Jews Don't Count documentary. I mean, I, I mean, I I felt very disappointed and saddened by this one because I watch Only Connect. I love Only Connect. I really do enjoy it. And and I, I have had a long time crush on Victoria Corin Mitchell. So this has been a sad one for me. Very sad for me. But, um, I, I found on Twitter, this is when I realised, I didn't really realise how much of a centrist she was and it woke me up this year. She wrote, she wrote this, this annoying, awful tweet about the king. She's a royalist, listen. That was a wonderful speech from the king. I think we're very lucky. These are accidents of birth and he didn't need to be intelligent, articulate, wise or kind, but he is. 
And I just, <laughs> you know when someone you had a crush on like says something so awful and they suddenly become repulsive to you? I mean, I'm pretty sure she actually made it worse for David Baddiel himself, though, because at least in his documentary, at the very least, under, under some duress, I think, he's, you know, admitted that what, what happened with Jason Lee was racist. You know, it was racist under duress. But she actually goes back on that and tries to argue that it wasn't because back then it was something that was normal and fine. And actually, I think it was Ash Sarker of Navarra who actually tried to call her out on that and said, actually, <laughs> no, it was racist at the time. Yeah, which brings us to first place. We did debate it for a long time because obviously there's a really, it's a really rich field of Sedge's meltdowns this year, right? There's so many people who who could have been in that number one spot. We've decided to award it to David Baddiel, partly because we're anti-Semitic <laughs> and partly because he had two documentaries this year, not just one, and both of them were hardcore centrist meltdown. Yeah, well, I mean, I... Didn't there was no debate in my mind. David Deal was number one for me from the beginning. I, I think he embodies all the qualities of the very best slash worst of the centrists. Really, he embodies it all. I think his his whole rebrand has been fascinating to watch. Really, he's he's essentially navigated what what could have been his cancellation for anti black racism, and redefined himself as a, an anti racist campaigner somehow or tried to. And it is a fascinating piece of scrabbling and floundering, isn't it? I mean, we're <laughs> watching it in real time, but it's working. It is actually working on lots of people. It's really interesting. So it's a good question, isn't it? Why is, um, why is David Baddiel, who has a terrible track record, not just on anti-Black racism, but also anti-Gypsy Roman traveller racism, he has, you know, lots of misogyny in his comedy. Um, why has he become this kind of voice for anti-racism in the media. And it is just because it's convenient for the establishment to have someone doing what he's doing. It's not because he's cool and intelligent like he thinks it is. It is because that's, if it wasn't him, it'd be somebody else, but it's convenient that it's him. Yeah, does anyone have any predictions for 2023 Badoo? Maybe he could run as a Labour MP. Go the Nobel Peace Prize or he starts to get colour for spite. I don't know which one. I mean, he could start writing for The Guardian. No, 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 you don't, you don't go to The Guardian anymore. The, no. Guardian is, the Guardian isn't for people like David Dale. He's got to go where Julie Birchall is or... Right. Or, um... Because his stuff is really Islamophobic, isn't it? Implicitly. Can you see him going further down the radicalisation further they are right? Going to. This is the thing, they're all going to do it. You can see it in this list. No, but they, they need... The, 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 you, you, you're right. They, they, at, this, at this moment, you, you write for something like Spiked. But really, they need to bring... The BBC. He needs to be like the anti-racist correspondent for the BBC. <laughs> Definitely. I, I'm imagining lots of talks from him, you know, TED Talks, university talks. He's certainly trying to rebrand himself. It's quite clever in a cynical way, you know, what he's doing. He's rebranding himself now. He used to be like lad culture, that kind of thing. He's now academic, very yeah. serious. Like it's it is well, that, smartly done. That's the new, that's the new lad culture. It's the Jordan Pearson. It's the, yeah. it's the lad academic who keeps it real. So, that's the end of the show, right? Right. Thank you very much, Claudia. Thank you very much, Heather. And uh, that's all from our Christmas New Year Review Spectacular. We're hoping to do more podcasts in the future more frequently. I'm also going to be making videos for Complaints on the Play going back to the old ways, making some of the old sort of documentary style ones. As always, 
it helps us if you could give some money to the Patreon. We've just been given quite a bit of money, which is really nice by an anonymous benefactor to help us with our sound. <laughs> that hasn't filtered through to <laughs> actually working yet, but we have got the technology now. It's more about our confidence, but that will happen. We will have decent sound in the future. Uh, and yeah, thank you very much. I think we don't have to do live because it's a podcast. No, I was thinking that. It's sad because I, I like the wave. <laughs> <laughs>